You're listening to MeSearch, a podcast featuring Filipino perspectives. In this show, we talk to trailblazers, business leaders, and bosses in the community to find out more about what they do. Join us as we learn and get to the bottom of things. Stay tuned. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Rock your body. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Okay. So I grew up hella and sink ride or die, fuck you, BSB. But, you know, in recent years as an adult and now seeing NSYNC and BSB come together for collaborations, I'm like, okay, chill out. Chill Mm -hmm. out, 14-year-old me. Yeah, there's no need for the rivalry. There's no need for the rivalry. There is space for everyone. Stop your crab mentality. There is room for all the boy bands. Can Can I say, though, I'm still pro NSYNC. Like, I'm I'm still pro in sync, and this is why. <laughs> okay, I I just also just not because I'm a fan, and I'm a fan because of this, but mm-hmm. I'm not speaking as a fan. But in sync has better vocals, and they were better okay, at yes. dancing. Yes, and one hundred percent, and they had better tunes. Second of all, I'm not going to trust off the bat a boy band that's talking about how they're going to be back when they just got in. (laughs) You know what? I thought about that, too, when I was a kid. I was, like, listening to the song. I'm like, they're back. Where were they they? before? (laughs) Like, I have never heard of them before. Um, Literally. I Yeah, I was like, what are you even talking about? Yeah, and no (laughs) knock on them because some of them are very... Some of them... Um, appear to be very nice people on the internet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of them not so much, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Or not okay. I don't. Even, I don't even want to get into that. But anyway, um, <laughs> musically, NSYNC wins for me. Dancing, NSYNC wins for me. Um, but I appreciate the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Those guys are nice. They're nice humans. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It- it says something when I know all the words to their songs, oh, but yeah. have never, ever purchased a BSB CD. Ever. You have an or, NSYNC CD? What's your favorite album? I have all of them. <laughs> okay, oh okay. my gosh. You have no idea. I only have I Creed love CDs. NSYNC. <laughs> you have Creed CDs. <laughs> you have Creed CDs. Don't bundle us together on that one, boo. I know. <laughs> what are you even thinking? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, oh, my favorite NSYNC CD is... Uh, gosh. That's really hard. It's, it's between... So, no, God, no. It's between No Strings Attached. You know what? It's No Strings Attached. That's my mm. favorite one. That's the only one and, I know by, by name. There's ooh. NSYNC, the self-titled album, right? That was like their first that's one. That's their first one. And then that No Strings Attached is, is like second. one of the last ones. Yeah, that's their second album. Oh. I, okay. I know we're, we're trying to... We're trying to, we're trying to, you know, like, um, we're trying to make this intro a little bit quicker, but I just have a quick story to share. Sure. This is how much, okay. 
So this is how much I was obsessed with NSYNC when I was in high school. So me and my friend Holly, shout out to Holly. Um, after school, we would be like the last people to get picked up from, you know, from from school. Mm-hmm. And we would literally do the entire NSYNC choreography, um, the, the whole entire No Strings Attached concert choreography, like until we got picked up. Um, and but it was it was a spectacle let me tell you okay but also when no strings attached came out my freshman year of high school that morning i told my mom and i was dead fucking serious you better pick me up on time today (laughs) (laughs) because we need to go to tower records before the CD is sold out, because I cannot live a day, another day, without the new album. I have to get it on the release day. Without fail, and, you know, this is fine now, my mom was late. (laughs) So you can, I was so upset, I was hella tampoing. I was like in the in the passenger passenger seat, like with my head in my hands, not looking at my mom. Like, oh my god! I bet when we get to Tower Records, there's gonna be no more CDs for me to get. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I was so upset. I was on the verge of fucking tears, like a stupid teeny bopper. Right? We got to Tower Records, and I'm like. Mom, they better have some CDs. They better have some CDs. I walk in and there was a ton of fucking CDs available. (laughs) And I felt like a total asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Crystal. I know. I know. It was so fucking real. (laughs) And also really stupid. Yeah. But you still have the CD. I'm assuming. Of course I do. I, me and Mike just went through our old CDs and mm-hmm. took them home because we're thinking about buying another CD player. You know what? CD players are going to come back because they are. record they players are. came back. We have kids with like uh, tape players, Walkmans. CD players are going to come back. They definitely are. John Mayer is releasing his new album uh, via cassette tape. Mm. Yeah. Y'all, this is uh, in June, so it's probably out already. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Maybe we should, like, start talking about this episode, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> question for you. I have a question yeah. for you. Sure. Um, are you familiar with your parents' immigration story? Um, yeah. My parents were... They they came to the U.S., I think, in the, the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they immigrated as, uh, like high school workers. They were, they were nurses. They went to nursing school in the Philippines. They came to the U.S. to work. They were, um, they were employed in Texas where I was born. And, um, that is the extent of how much I know, actually. Oh my God. Oh, I should probably, I, I should probably learn more. Yeah, I also never knew that you were born in Texas. 
Mm, Yo, I was born in Texas. That is a new fact. That is new, (laughs) entirely new information. This is probably not an accurate Texan accent, but... I'm sorry. Okay. Nah. Nah. Uh, but you know, I I did have to learn um uh I did have to learn a Texas dialect for a show I did at CalArts, but I can't recall what that sounded like. So I needed to Do you remember back. the line? Um there were many lines. There's a lot of crying and um my character was a badass bitch who at the end was doing cocaine <laughs> oh i was gonna yeah. say like that must be just like you because you're a badass bitch but minus the cocaine oh my part God, i am a badass bitch <laughs> yes yes you are fuck yeah hell yeah so um, what about you what about your your parents immigration story um so my dad of course stayed in the philippines um, but, uh, so my mom came in the eighties and she was petitioned by her older sister, my Tita Pressy, my late Tita Pressy. Um, she came here to work as a nurse and I think she came in the seventies and then she petitioned my mom, my grandma, my grandpa and my Tita Nancy and they all came in the eighties and that's, that's all I, I got. It's uh, not, uh, Maybe nothing. we should like have our parents on the show. Eventually. Let's think about that. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of pros, a lot of cons. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think my mom would be too shy to come on the show. So maybe your parents, but my mom definitely would, would be like, um, I don't want to be in public. <laughs> um, my mom is also like, she listens to the, to the show and she, uh, I swear she feels like she's a producer or something because she's always like, you should do this, you should do that. Um, you should, you should be organizing it in this way. You should ask questions in this way. Um, but she's like, I don't want to be on the show, but this is how you should run it. Okay. Okay, tita. I'm like, are we the same person though? (laughs) (laughs) The Uh, apple doesn't fall too, fall too far from the tree. I guess not. Um, but anyway, we're talking about immigration because we have a special guest, who specializes in immigration law. His name is Joseph Navales, who is a friend of the pod. And we're so happy to have him here. Let's go ahead and get this episode started. Let's do this. Welcome to the show. We have Joseph Navales Esquire. Hello, hello. Welcome. We're so Thank happy you. to Thank have you. you here. Yes, welcome. Me. Welcome to Me Search. Joe was um, one of our guests when we did an Instagram live during mm-hmm. season one. And we're so happy to have you on the yes. show as a formal guest on uh, one of our season two episodes. So thank you so much for being here. And um, we want to first start off with talking about kind of your journey to what you're doing now. So you're an attorney mm-hmm. who practices immigration law, specifically with Asian Americans advancing justice in LA. Uh, we want to talk to you about the practice of immigration law and what folks need to know about immigration to the US. Uh, but before we delve into that, can you give us a little bit of your personal career and educational history? Like how did you get to be able to do what you do? 
Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, the short version is I went to um, UC Riverside for undergrad and I majored in um, international relations and minored in peace and conflict studies. And then afterwards, I took a break for two years. And during that time, I was working for a law firm that did bankruptcy, which I honestly did not enjoy. But, um, you know, I figured that that was a good kind of way for me to see what the law world was like. Um, and, you know, I, I saw enough of it where I was like, okay, you know, this is kind of like an opportunity for me to help people. So that's when I went to, two years after I graduated from college, I went to law school. I went to Western State College of Law. It's a private small school in Orange County. Um, and then I passed the bar in 2017 and um, have been practicing immigration law since. So that's kind of like my educational history in a nutshell. Cool. Um, shout outs to UC Riverside. Yeah. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> Joe and I uh, went to school together. We never took any classes together. Um, you were much smarter than me. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, but we did hang out a bunch of times. We, we did. We hung out so much. And it's great. It's so cool to see how far you've come. Thank you for, Thank you. for still um, putting up with me and remaining a friend. <laughs> of course, of course. It's interesting that you found yourself in immigration law, knowing a little bit about your personal history with your journey to the U.S. Can you speak uh, to us a little bit about your own immigration story? Yeah, so... My immigration story is like, I would say it's very unique. I was born in the Netherlands in Europe. Um, and then I lived there for 14 years. So, you know, quite a while. And then um, my parents and I were petitioned by my grandmother. And we came and moved here to the United States. And I moved here when I was 14 years old. Um, and, you know, kind of like the journey of the immigrant, it's, it was crazy. Like, like the first, maybe the first year I remember living with um, my uncles and aunts, my cousins, which was like a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, it was like a lot of people in one household. Um, and, and then, you know, the two years after that, um, my dad was working in out in Long Beach um, and renting a room out there. And then uh, my mom and I were in a one bedroom apartment um, for two years, I think. Um, and, you know, as a teenager at that age, sharing a room with your mom and like one bedroom apartment, you know, um, although I don't, I didn't see it as like struggling or anything like that. Um, looking back at it, I can definitely like see kind of like the challenges of that as a, you know, a teenager growing up and everything like that. Um, so that was kind of the journey that, you know, me and my family took um, luckily, you know, everything worked out, um, went through high school, went to college, et cetera. Um, and then now my, my parents took, like completed their trip around the world and they're, they're back in the Philippines now happily retired. And, um, I'm left here by myself. Well, with my partner, of course, but yeah, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I love that your parents are living their best lives. Yeah. They really, you know, like real quick, my parents, shout out to my parents because they they took a trip around the world in their lifetime and they decided to be immigrants like three times. So they moved from the Philippines 
to Japan in their early 20s mm-hmm. and then lived there for like maybe five and eight years. And then they immigrated to the Netherlands and then that's where I was born. And then they immigrated to the United States and then they finally made it back to the Philippines again. So to do that journey three times over is kind of crazy um, to think about. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so hard just to do it one time. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. So, you know, shout out to my parents for doing it so many times. Yeah. Shout yeah. out mom and dad. Adventurous <laughs> souls. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Question. Um, how, what is the community, the Filipino community like in the Netherlands, you know, compared to what it what it's like here in America? That's such a great question. So one of my f- fondest memories growing up in the Netherlands was definitely the Filipino community there. So in the Netherlands, obviously, I mean, there are not a lot of Filipinos there, right? Mm -hmm. So when you do hear Tagalog or or another dialect in the Philippines, like in the grocery store there, immediately like, oh, are you you Filipino? Mm -hmm. You know, and you instantly become friends. And especially like, you know, if um, a majority of Filipinos are Catholic, so we often see each other like in church so often. Um, But I just remember growing up with a lot of really close friends who were either half Filipino or full Filipino um, and, you know, having aunties and uncles come over uh, for dinner or like I come home from school and there's a tita there with my mom just having coffee. Um, It was like a huge presence in my life. And like every weekend there was a party and everything like that. So there was a real, real tight community, I would say, in the Netherlands with Filipinos. Um, but then moving here, you know, I, I do have a sense that there is a strong sense of community between Filipinos, but I feel like a lot of people here in America really prioritize like work or get really drowned in work. Mm, um, and it can be difficult in, for, for them sometimes to create community outside of like, let's say workmates or like just family members. Um, So, I mean, you know, my mom was a nurse here in the States. So, of course, like we always had parties with other other Filipino nurses and workmates and such. But there was just something different about the Filipino community in the Netherlands where it's like they're really hinging on the their identity as Filipinos and then really trying to bring as much of home um, the feeling of home as much as possible into like each gathering and stuff like that. Cause we don't have like a seafood city in, in the Netherlands, you know, or we don't mm-hmm. have like the Filipino channel there back when I was there, you know? So mm-hmm. as much as possible, I think they really leaned into each other a lot. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. And, yeah. We, you know, I think generally like in America we're we're so consumed by work. Um mm-hmm. Capitalism. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it would be nice to look at um, life as, you know, with a wider lens because we get, we do like, we just focus on work. It's like Monday through Friday, we got to work, mm-hmm. but it's like, we need to also open up our hearts to life outside of work and that yeah, gets hard but we gotta we gotta really try to make room for that and make room to like come together as a community in in different ways as filipinos so that's just a really interesting 
interesting thing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I think it also goes a little bit down towards like the culture, right? So like you mm, mentioned mm-hmm. here in, in the United States, it's very, very individualistic, very work focused, very overtime is like praised, you know what I mean? Right. But in the yeah. Netherlands, the community there is, or the culture there is very much like it's five. I've been clocked out since like, you know, 450, like I'm out. So yeah, they, they really, they really focus on their work-life balance there. Wow. Meanwhile, there are people like me, like thinking about work on Saturday. (laughs) Boo, stop that. I know, I know. Stop it. Self-care, Dustin, self-care. I know, I know. know. (laughs) Self-care. Burnout's real, y'all, burnout's real. It really is. And this is all this is all wonderful because the work that you do is is so important. Um, and for a lot of people, Filipinos included, immigration to the United States is a very mm-hmm. daunting task. And um, you know, just not even just Filipinos, but like my my friends uh, who have come from all over the world, I have heard stories upon stories upon stories about how challenging it is to come here. Um, can you tell us about what the process looks like um, mm-hmm. coming here to immigrating to the United States? Yeah, so the process of immigrating to the United States can come in various ways. Um, largely, it depends on whether the person is here already in the U.S. or if they are coming from abroad, right? But the way I kind of like putting it is the three way main ways of immigrating to the United States is you can think of it as blood, sweat and tears, right? So blood, you can come to the United States if you have um, if, if you have family members who are either green card holders or U.S. citizens, um, you know, through, through, hold on, let me think what I just said, blood, sweat, and tears. All right. So for the sweat, um, people are able to come here through, for example, employment. So employers um, can um, petition people to come here to the United States, although that has its own challenges in itself. And then lastly, tears, tears, you can think of it as through asylum, right? Mm -hmm. So someone who is escaping persecution in their native country, um, is how they're also able to get legal status in the United States. So those are the three main ways, uh, the processes for people to come to the US, although there are you know, more niche like other ways for them. For example, if you are a victim of a crime, um, then there is a certain visa that goes with that. Or if, for example, you've been a victim of human trafficking, there's a way for you to get legal status through that. Or even if you, if you worked as a snitch, even um, there may be a legal means of getting, you know, status in the United States um, that way as well. But blood, sweat, and tears is usually the main way in which someone comes to the United States from another country. So, if, for example, you know, you are some person from like Pakistan, and you have no like employer to to want to petition you, you don't have any family here, and you're not trying to escape persecution or anything like that then there is literally like almost no way for you to to immigrate here legally. Wow. Like no way. 
Yeah, it's a lot, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also you know, I think you know, immigration is such in the forefront of like the discussion here in the United States that it makes it. I think people think it's so easy to do, but it's so incredibly difficult to do it without those type of like relations or or other things, right? So, yeah. Can you um, can you also talk a little bit about folks who are undocumented and what mm-hmm. that process looks like for them? Yeah, so for folks who are undocumented, those are essentially people in the United States without legal status to be here. Um, and the journey for people who are undocumented can be very, very difficult, right? So. So as you know, the law changes over the years. Um, mm-hmm. And it honestly, for undocumented people, it all depends on the facts of their case because it depends on like when they entered, how they entered, right? Did they enter before like 1996 when the law changed or did they enter with inspection like through through like an immigration officer stamping their passport, letting them in or did they come through like the desert, right? Those are mm-hmm. all facts that kind of determine whether you can even apply for something, right? So let's say you come, you know, to the United States um, without inspection, and then, you know, you leave and then you come back again. If that happens within a certain timeline or certain years, you are essentially banned from from ever immigrating to the United States. Um, mm. So it's like little things like that that can really make a big difference. Or for example, with DACA, right, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, if you didn't arrive in a certain time, then you are ineligible for that, right? And it's only like this group of people who are able to to apply for like a benefit like that. So immigration law is really difficult in the sense that you really have to know your facts well with, you know, when you came, how you came, you know, have you ever applied for anything? Have you ever been caught before? Um, what relations do you have, right? It's one thing if you're being petitioned by, for example, your U.S. citizen, you know, um, brother versus like a U.S. citizen spouse. There's so much more forgiveness if your U.S. citizen spouse is petitioning you versus like getting petitioned by your 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 sibling. Um, and for example... I'm sorry if I'm ranting here, but for example, no, 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 please. Um, if you're undocumented and you have a U.S. citizen spouse um, petitioning you, and you know, with other certain facts being met, then potentially you have a visa immediately available for you, and you can apply to get your green card, right? But if you have a sibling who, for example, is from the Philippines. Um, and as a U.S. and you know you're a U.S. citizen, you're petitioning your your sibling in the Philippines. Right now, that's taking like about like 25 years before you can even come to the United States. Wow. So yeah, so that's how crazy it is in terms of like backlog and just kind of like the the you know kind of the broken system that that the immigration law you know is operating under. Okay. <laughs> can you, gosh. Um, what do you, can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah, you go, go, go. I, I got, what? yeah. You talk about the system being broken. Is there anything in particular about the system that you feel is 
just so broken, like very obviously broken? Hmm, that's a great question. I mean, this is me personally speaking. I think there are a lot of things that are, there are issues with the field of law that I'm practicing in, right? Because before I, I worked for the nonprofit, I worked for a boutique law firm and I was doing a lot of removal defense cases. Like, um, you know, someone is caught with without have, being undocumented and then they are placed in court to um, essentially fight the removal from the United States. So that in itself is a really difficult piece in the system because unlike criminal cases, people who find themselves in um, immigration court, they don't have a constitutional right to an attorney, right? And even these unaccompanied minors that arrive here um, without any parents, um, you know, through the border, they are literally placed in front of an immigration judge without an attorney and being asked questions about, you know, their arrival and all these other crazy things about the law by a judge. And it's literally, it could be like a five-year-old, eight-year-old child sometimes sitting there and they don't know. Well, of course they don't know what they're saying. You know what I mean? So that is a really glaring, you know, issue um, within within the field. Um, also, something to reflect upon is um, not a lot of people know this, but immigration court is not actually under the judicial branch of the government, right? So there's three branches, the judicial, legislative, and the executive being the president. Immigration court actually falls under the executive branch of government, right? And so many times the judges that are actually immigration judges, they are not appointed for life. They are actually employees of the Department of Justice under the executive branch. So they are, you know, they don't have the protections of being lifetime tenured judges, right? They're just employees. So if they are making quote unquote, like wrong decisions um, or not meeting their quotas, then that leads to them maybe having their jobs jeopardized. And another crazy thing to think about is um, the attorney that is representing the government comes from the same department as the immigration judge. So they both work under the same department. And, you know, many times um, in removal defense, a vast, vast, vast majority of immigrants um, don't speak English and also are not re are not uh, represented, so they don't have attorneys. And I think I read somewhere maybe like only thirty percent or less than that have attorneys when they go um, in front of an immigration judge. So, you know, I think those are major major flaws in the system that I know um, immigration advocates are trying to change, um, but you know. The, those are kind of like the, the that's the reality of the situation that we're we're you know working under wow how can you possibly expect a five-year-old to defend themselves i literally have five-year-old students who are just learning their sounds and they got some sight words you know like yeah. oh i got yeah. the sight words yeah. but backing it up historically um can you enlighten us with 
you you mentioned something about the law changing in 1996, and this is, and what was that law? Because I, I I'm not too familiar with what happened in 1996. Yeah, so Congress, you know, Congress that that was the the last time there was major major um, immigration law overhaul. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, things changed a lot. You know, there were a lot of new rules implemented a lot of new uh, policies implemented. Um, and so that's why that, that kind of serves as a benchmark for, for when we're doing immigration screenings because, you know, sometimes things will, the law will act retroactively and sometimes it won't. So that's why it's so important for us to know exactly um, when people arrived, how they arrived and stuff uh-huh. like that. Um, and that was the last time, um, you know, the law has changed significantly. And I know that, you know, these days, everyone, every every presidential candidate says they're going to do, <laughs> you know, mm. immigration overhaul of our broken system. Um, but, you know, we're, we're hopefully waiting for some changes. But, um, yeah, that's that's essentially kind of like the big markup year for for immigration was that because that, that was the last time that it was overhauled so vastly. We're back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> All right. So, Joseph, <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing a lot of your expertise. It's so interesting what knowledge you've gained over the years and kind of your experiences. It's interesting to hear about how things have broken, what are the challenges and whatnot. Um, it's definitely a complicated system that people are navigating. Mm. What are some tips or actions you'd like our audience to take to maybe keep themselves informed or maybe support folks who are going through the process of immigration? Yeah. Um, So, you know, for the people that are going through the process of immigration or if you're a family member petitioning someone or something like that, um, I just think, you know, to keep it simple, it's always best to like keep the record, right? So whatever documents you have, keep them nice, keep them organized, you know, we know your history, no dates of like when you entered, how you entered, stuff like that. I mean, that information sounds tedious, but honestly, it makes such a big difference in terms of how an immigration attorney can help you. Um, another tip I would say is, um, you know, a public service announcement for um, to just to watch out for for scammers or for what we call notarios out there, every community of color has them. They are essentially like people who say they're notaries or say they can help you with like an immigration form or something like that, but they're not an attorney. Um, And then they end up like, you know, screwing up their person's immigration case or screwing up, you know, putting them in jeopardy. And then, you know, them charging um, people like thousands of dollars for, for immigration services that they're not qualified to give um you know our organization just a quick plug you know part part of what i do is we do free um, immigration screenings so what essentially that is is we educate you as to what your options are in your specific case right so we would talk to you about your case um, about your history and then we will tell you like okay these are the your the options that you have Um, and like i mentioned our legal services are free 
So, um, you know, I'd be more than happy to help you with that. Um, and maybe one last thing, especially with everything going on right now with um, um, harassment, xenophobia, especially against Asians, as well as other people of color, um, Advancing Justice is also doing bystander intervention trainings, right? So let's say if you saw an instance of harassment or um, xenophobic hate going on in public, at least that way you won't freeze and you'll be given the tools of what could I do if I see that particular situation. Um, so that's something that we offer as well that I kind of wanted to plug as well. Awesome. You know, for for folks who are in the process of uh, their Im getting their immigration status um, good to go, do you have any stories that that you've experienced that you might want to share where you see someone get that status that they've been, <laughs> you know, like, cause I feel yeah, like, yeah. you know, some folks are just like, Oh my God. Like my friends are like, Oh my God, I have to like save up all this money. Mm -hmm. And like, Oh yeah. my God, I have to go through all this paperwork and this is yeah. so hard. And, um, can you just maybe offer any kind of like, uh, stories of hope? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Man, I think, you know, I think a big reason why I do what I do is just for, you know, situations like this, where, I mean, I can give, I can give specifics out, right, because of, of confidentiality, course. but um, I remember this one story of, you know, I helped, I, I was helping an a elderly Filipino person apply for citizenship. Um, they've been here a long time. And unfortunately, they've been here alone for a long time. Um, and I think the really heartbreaking thing is, and I see this repeatedly as well, is that many of you know our Filipino lolas and lolas, they are still working here as caregivers, right? Like they're working as caregivers to people like that are close to their age. Um, and it's it's really heartbreaking to see, you know, because at that age, you you wish that they just enjoyed retirement. Um, so they've been here working for a long time, you know, sending money back in the Philippines and stuff like that. So money's tight, of course. And, you know, they live with their, their, their caregiving patient. Um, so they don't really have like, you know, they only have the room to themselves. Um, so that's, you know, that's the person that I remember. And I just remember, you know, being able to give a free legal service to someone, you know, like having access to attorneys and access to to the law um, is is rare and and it it's very heartwarming to be able to tell them that like hey I will help you you know as a professional for free and then you know luckily that they also met the requirement where they didn't have to pay for the citizenship application either which by the way is seven hundred and twenty five dollars oh my gosh. Yeah. So luckily they didn't have to pay for it either. Um, and, you know, we, part of the citizenship test is they have to, you know, speak in English fluently. They have to study a hundred questions and then out of the hundred, they get asked 10 randomly. So for, you know, for immigrants and people who may not have English be their first language, that can be incredibly difficult, right? Especially in a governmental setting. So, you know, me and this person, we practice many times over, you know, over the phone. And then, um, 
you know, finally we go to the interview together. Uh, luckily they, they did absolutely great. And then, you know, afterwards they, they have their little American flag and their naturalization certificate. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, their eyes are just, and smile are just beaming because, you know, finally they can, they feel safe. They feel secure, right? Because as a U.S. citizen, you can't be removed from the, the country that you're a citizen of. Um, and also a lot of benefits open up more for you. And also in terms of petitioning family relatives, that opens up a lot more options as well. So, you know, helping people like that really gives me a lot of joy and really kind of motivates me to do what I do. Oh, amazing. You're you're amazing, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you're real life superhero. <laughs> you are you are a superhero, a real life superhero. <laughs> you're uh, too kind, you're too kind. So Joseph, thank you so much for sharing some tips and some stories that uh people can take with them to um prepare for their immigration paperwork and, and journey. It's gonna be a long road mm-hmm. for a lot of folks. Um, we really appreciate the fact that we have someone in the community doing this work pro bono. Um, wow. <laughs> That's such a gift. Wow. Such yeah. a gift for folks. Where can people learn more about you, uh, your organization, and the work that you do? Yeah. So um, the organization's website is advancingjustice-la.org. Um, there you can see you know, various workshops that we offer and trainings that we offer. Um, I am specifically down here in the Orange County office. So, you know, um, my email, I'm free to give it out. It's jnavales, N-A-V-A-L-E-S, at advancingjustice-oc.org. I know that's a lot. Hopefully you can write it down somewhere. We'll put it um, in the show notes. Okay, yes. great. Yeah. So, yeah, please feel free to email me. Um, you know, we do free immigration screenings, um, pro bono immigration work. We just have to talk to you and see what your situation is. Dope. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us, Joseph. It was no, really you. amazing to hear um, about your work and the amazing things that you're doing for our community. Y'all, this was Joseph Navales, Esquire. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Joseph uh. Navales. Joseph, man. Uh, he is such a pleasure to hang out with, and I'm so glad that we can call him a friend. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I forget how smart and accomplished he is because he's like also such a sweet goofball, like outside <laughs> of professional spaces. Um, what is one thing that you took from this conversation, Crystal? I think talking to Joe kind of reestablished this thought in my head and kind of reinforced all of these stories that I've heard from, um, you know, a lot of my friends who are in the process of um, getting a legal status here, that the system is very well broken. You know, I, I hear stories on stories and stories, like I said earlier in, in the interview, about how much money it costs and how much paperwork you have to do. But also listening to, um, you know, Joe's insight and just like the fact, the fact of the matter is it's just fucking impossible, almost impossible to to live here if you're not 
born here. Um, and I understand. No, I don't understand. Um, it shouldn't be that hard. You know, it, you shouldn't have to, um, especially if you are, are seeking asylum or, or looking for some legit opportunities, even if you're here and you're, you know, working towards a professional life here and you're, you know, you're doing the work and you're doing all these things and you are paying taxes, by the way. Yeah. You know, they are. I think the misconception is that like people who are not citizens here are not paying taxes. Everybody. They are paying fucking taxes. So I'm sorry. Shut the fuck up. And I will say that I, I want to say that, like, please shut up because they are paying taxes and you need to, like, check yourself before you tell before you start talking about how things are so lopsided and how they're here, uh, how people who are trying to get legal status here are just taking our resources. Y'all, they are contributing to our resources. Mm-hmm. So calm down. Yeah. And I, I 100% mean that. I'm, I, I don't take any BS when it comes to that crap. 100% no. So I am not afraid to speak so brashly about that. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, like you said, these are people who are contributing to society. They make yes. life better. They pay their yes. way through. Um, I think there is a big misconception about, what it means to be an Amer- uh, what it means to be an American, what it means to mm-hmm. be an immigrant, and also we need to remind ourselves the history of the U.S. is like based on people okay. moving here, uh huh, um, and the folks who feel like they are American, um, specific folks are actually colonizers. They were colonizers. They yeah. were not from here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in, in moments where we where we feel like we're more American than the other, or if you're like, frankly, if you're a white person and you're listening to this podcast, which I don't know if you are or not, but if you're a white person and you feel like you're more American than an immigrant, um, I think you need to pause, reflect on the history of the United of the United States. Um, maybe talk to some folks who are of a different culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, empathize with their history, learn your own history, because the our presence in the U.S. is very complicated. It's yeah. very complicated. Um, and, yeah. you know, and, and if you see that, you know, you are from that community that has oppressed people of color in the past, that doesn't mean we're saying that you're awful. Okay, it just means we want you to recognize the history of this country. And if you really believe in this space um, and this country and what its actual val- what the values are supposed to be, mm-hmm. then you will do the work. So that value that you are clinging on to so much, so hard for yourself Um is also shared to others because that's what the values are all about. Am I right? Mm-hmm. So, um, 
yeah, check yourself before it's supposed you to be life, yourself. liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh huh. Right. So let people live. Let people, let people live. Let people live. Let people pursue happiness. <laughs> yes, they aren't hurting you. Yeah. Yeah. If they're like physically, like seriously hurting you, like okay, then let's talk about it. Yeah. But if they're story. not even in your ether, like. Dude, like, let people be. <laughs> let people be. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, But, yeah, so I think it's important that we, yes, look at our history and also look at what is happening with immigration. And and I think we have the privilege as citizens um, to not, of course, we don't have to think about it, right? Yeah. Like, but... Think about the hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, especially the children, you know, who are just trying to make a life for themselves. And everyone is deserving of the life that they they want and they choose. So I think it's it's pertinent to look at what's going on with immigration, know what know have some kind of knowledge about what the process is like, because y'all it's hard. It's really hard. And, um, we have to do the work and we have to see how, if you are supporting this cause, um, to see what you can do as a citizen to empower our, our folks who are trying to get status here, um, to work here, to live here, to be happy here. Um, we just need, we need all hands on deck to make sure that we can make that happen. And that takes a lot of, of, um, you know, seeing what we can do, doing the research on what we can do and what's happening. So, um, yeah, it's not impossible. We just need to push for legislative changes. We need to do our homework. Um, and yeah, just this conversation has just kind of reinforced and agitated me once again um, to do to do more, to do yeah. more. What about you, Boo? Um, I mean, totally agree. Like this is a very complicated, complex, very involved process, like the act of immigration or to formalize immigration status and whatnot. Um, one thing that stuck out to me in our conversation with Joseph is that gaining citizenship status is a very long process. Mm-hmm. He mentioned something about somebody waiting for uh, waiting for up to like 25 years. That That is such a long time. Like you could be well into retirement years depending yeah. on how old you are. Um, that that was pretty shocking to me. There's he was saying that there's a huge misconception of how long the process actually takes, um, and it's not so easy to actually formally become a citizen. Yes, there are multiple avenues, but it also is a very nuanced process where you're looking at so many different factors and uh, of like when you came to the U.S., like who mm-hmm. who is petitioning for you on your behalf like what are the circumstances around your current situation like are you fleeing something um he mentioned blood sweat and tears like yeah um do you have family in the u.s are you um are you working do you have a job is like do you have opportunities here to grow and and contribute to society are you running away from something 
asylum. Like that, these are a lot of things to consider. Each individual situation is going to be so unique. Um, like no wonder it takes so long. And I, I really, I, my thoughts and like my, I say prayers though. I'm not like a very religious person, but like really my thoughts and prayers are for with my thoughts and prayers are with the folks who are going through this process because I can see how stressful it is and mm-hmm. knowing that it can consume almost your entire life. Yeah. Like imagine living your life like this. This is, this is um, like you said, it doesn't need to be this hard or it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't. And you know, even, <laughs> gosh, even hearing about my, you know, actor friends who are not from the United States and they're trying to, you know, make their, make their mark here um, as, as artists. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to just get your status here um, because they're on like an artist visa. Right. And then like, mm-hmm. but they can only work as an artist to make it um, uh, to keep that. What is the word I'm looking for? Um, they have to work specifically in the chosen profession to, um, to continue this visa, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. as actors, we're not always going to get work all the time, right? So, it's like, okay, well, I have to also do my side hustles. You know, I have to work at a restaurant or I need to, you know, do this or that and the other. But it's like they're trying to work, they're trying to make their money, they're paying their taxes, but they're still trying to uh, make their dreams happen. But if they are not able to prove that they are extraordinary in the art, and what does that even fucking mean? They can't stay. That's the word that they use, extraordinary? Yes. Oh my gosh. How many extraordinary people are in the U.S. though? Yeah. (laughs) I'm yeah, can you, can you, pl- yeah, can, I mean, there's, I mean, not to, there are tons of actors, there's a lot of extraordinary actors, and there's a lot yeah. of actors who are just, you know, they're great, but it's not like, what does extraordinary mean? Like, it's such and, a, v- a vague, like, measure. Yeah, it's a vague measure, and the government is telling us what art is extraordinary and not. You are not an artist. <laughs> You know, like, what business do you have choosing who and who isn't extraordinary in the work that they're doing? Right. I'm sorry. That's fucked up. I'm I'm sorry. I'm dropping a lot of F-bombs today. Yeah, because Crystal's livid, livid in this episode. Be, it's just, it's it's not cool. It's not okay. I get it. Yeah, I get Ugh. it. I get it. Lord. <laughs> Are you anyway. still upset about the NSYNC thing? Your mom picking you up late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gosh, mom. Gosh. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. What a great episode. I, yeah. I, um, any other, any other thoughts that you wanted to, to wrap up with boo? Yeah. I, I just want to say thank you to Joseph and his colleagues at, um, Asian Americans advancing justice yes. in LA and all other um, all other regions where this work is being done because um, he is doing this work pro bono. Um, this 
type of work requires an immense amount of expertise and historical knowledge of like laws and like what has happened in history. And that's yes. not something a lay person would know, especially if English is not your first language. How can you expect how can you expect an immigrant who doesn't have have the command of the English language to brush up on um like the system, you know? Yeah. <laughs> These laws are stupid. <laughs> yes. And thank you once again to, to Joseph for doing this work. It's very important. Um, I encourage anybody who is looking for guidance and counsel to reach out to him. Yes. Because that is his job is to, is to work with people pro bono. Um, reach out to him. Details are in the show notes. Thank you all for sticking around in this episode. We'll, we'll catch you at the next one. All right, see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. MeSearch is produced and hosted by Dustin Domingo and Crystal Tugatti. Editing by Dustin Domingo. If you enjoy MeSearch, make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, Make sure to check us out at mesearchpodcast.com and follow us at mesearchpodcast. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is Mesearch, folks. Woo!